National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. As Lent concludes and Catholics enter into the events of Holy Week, each of us has to find a way to focus anew on the Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. We face many distractions from the world around us and also from within. Register columnist Monsignor Charles Pope offers some insights into staying the course with Christ this Holy Week and beyond. Then we turn to something a bit more mundane, Disney and its distortions. The youngest member of the Register team, Register intern Megan Schultz, has written about Disney's LGBTQ agenda and how some parents are reacting. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and your host here on Register Radio, Matthew Bunsen. My co-host couldn't be with us today, but I am very grateful to have Monsignor Charles Pope, a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, joining us. And Monsignor, you've been writing for the Register a, a weekly piece uh, that focuses on the scriptures each Sunday. We like to call that piece a user's guide to Sunday or Sunday guide for short. They've been great reflections this Lent, and I'm so grateful uh, for your time in writing those and your time with us today. Welcome back. Good. Thank you so much. Good to be here. You know, for Catholics, part of the beauty of the practice of our faith is the ritual, the routine. Uh, but that can also work against us in, in that we become too used to what we do or what we hear, and we lose the impact. This can happen with the scriptures because we hear them year after year. Um, it's, it's something I think that could happen very easily uh, with Palm Sunday and Holy Week and even the Triduum that we're just you know, soon approaching. And I'm hoping that you can give us some tips on how to become, how to overcome, excuse me, that tendency. Um, you have to prepare a homily every Sunday. <laughs> um, and I imagine you might have to overcome that complacency in your own practice of faith and liturgy and preaching. How how can we as Catholics over, overcome this tendency towards complacency with our liturgical seasons? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's a, a Latin expression that the Latin fathers of the Church had about Scripture, which is that it's non nova, said nove. So, uh, not a new thing, but understood newly. Hmm. So, in other words, uh, that's always the challenge for us, uh, and, and hopefully for growing spiritually, uh, even if we read similar-sounding Gospels from year to year. Or we've heard, we've heard, look, be honest, Catholics know Scripture. I don't, don't, I don't listen to those folks say we don't know Scripture. We do. We have four readings every Sunday, and the cycle is repeating. If you're faithful, you know Scripture. So yeah. that's a good thing. It's also a challenging thing. We go, oh, yeah, yeah, that one, and we just sort of tune out. Instead of listening for something new will stand out. Oh, I missed that before. Oh, I, I'd never noticed that before. You know, and, and, and so this is where we, um, uh, you know, want to, you know, always, you know, look. And for me, it's a harmless, but also for, for everyone as we read these passages, you know. What, what, try to read it as though you never read it before. Never seen it before. What would stand out? Well, that's weird, you know, or something like that. Because we just like, uh-huh. We just sort of tune out. So I think what we want to do is try to say, how would, that this is the first time I've ever heard this, how would I react? And that's one way, you know, anyway. That's very that interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So it's not a new, the, the saying is it's not a new, it, not, not new, but heard newly, right? Yeah, yeah. Non nova sed nove. Yeah, I yeah. like that. I like that a lot. And you know, it's interesting because one of the things that's been happening to me uh, on Sunday mornings, I've been trying to read uh, the gospel to my kids 
who are pretty young, uh, eight and under. And so I'm trying to um, explain it to them in a nutshell, sometimes just even on the way uh, to, to church in the car. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's interesting because it forces me um, to summarize it and give them a nugget. Like, and so I, I find that happening to me. I'm, I'm catching something new and trying to, to find something new to give to them. And um, I think you have done that really well in this uh, in the piece you wrote for Palm Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. So the user's guide for Palm Sunday, and it, it was titled by our team, Five Problematic Patterns of Sin That Emerge in the Passion Account. And, um, and I love it because you look at it, you know, that passage very differently than I've ever thought of it before, and you focus mm-hmm. on the problems. So what are the problems that you spotted in the Passion Narrative? Yeah, I think the, the root problem, even before we look at the five, would be they, they just don't... They, they, how many times did the Lord say to them on the way down, at least five times, on the way down to Jerusalem, the Son of Man is going to be handed over. He will be, you know, as he said, either you know, killed or crucified, but on the third day he will rise. They just never seem to internalize that. On the third day, I'll rise. And... Um, so the last thing they were expecting going through the Passion was, this is okay, in three days he's going to rise, I can be courageous. <laughs> you know? was not, the last thing on their mind, even on Easter Sunday when the first reports come in, they're like clueless right. to the fact that he's, actually, wait a minute, he did say in three days I would rise. <gasps> you know, but no, they're still running around calling it, pardon the expression, but women's talk. And, uh, <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> but because of that, because they, had, they go through the Passion pretty checked out, um, they become drowsy. We read in the text that, um, you know, they, they left the Passover uh, supper. And let's, let's be clear, there were four glasses of wine you drink at a Passover. So <laughs> and they're a little toasty. And um, they, they make this cross the Kidron Valley, and they're, they're sleepy. They've had a big meal, some alcohol, and Jesus says, I want you to stay here and pray with me, Peter, James, and John. But they fall asleep. You know, here is this Son of God is about to be handed over and begin his passion that will completely change human history, and the leaders of the Church are asleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Things mm-hmm. have not changed, my friends. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't just say that with regard to clergy, but, you know, parents, too, are leaders in the Church, so, yeah, it's, they become drowsy. You know, and this is, we, we live in such tormented times, and the darkness, and so sometimes what you just do is just get worn out. What do you mean? A man is not the same. A man and a woman aren't different. What are you talking? You know, how can we get this confused? And it just gets so wearying that we just kind of go morally to sleep. What's on TV tonight, or some other diversion? You know, so becoming drowsy, just drowsy. And so that's the first thing. <clears throat> they also seek to destroy. That is to say, um, they um, <clears throat> when Peter does finally awake, he lashes out with a sword and he cuts off the. The, uh, sl- the ear of the slave of the high priest. And um, Jesus, you know, says, put your sword back. Shall I not, you know, undergo what my father has willed for me and so on? And um, uh, other, so- other things, you know, who takes the sword will die by the sword. Different things are recorded as what he said. But you see, this is, this is uh, what happens to some of us, too, is that, you know, like we're either drowsy about all the moral issues, or when we do finally wake up, we just maybe we're overly dramatic, overly angry, and, um, you know, I've worked a lot in, with people in the areas of social justice, by which I would include abortion, you know, and, you know, years of praying outside of clinics can wear you out and get you pretty discouraged and angry. And um, 
you know, this happens also with people who work in other areas of social doctrine of the church, and um, it's pretty wearying stuff. And it's not you can get you can get angry, you lash out, you become sort of a countersign. And um, so these this also happens to them, you know, during the Passion. And again, they're they're, they're um, fighting because they forgot. In three days, I'll rise. You know, right. and we have to remember to stay confident that we are on the winning team. And when it's so confusing now that people don't have trouble with a man on a woman's swimming team, and it's, it's that it's that confused, it's pretty hard not to be discouraged. Absolutely. But on the other hand, we have to remember that in three days I'm going to rise, and one day we'll look back on this foolishness of the of the current age, and we'll say, "Wow." <laughs> right. I, I agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt here because I'm I'm not gonna let you give away all of your wonderful points on oh, the okay. problems because okay. I want our, yeah. I want everyone to read what's what they can find at ncregister.com and they can read the mm-hmm. the five different problems that are found here that are very similar to this vein that you've already described and I kind of wanted to mm-hmm. jump in especially too because. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned this sort of de- aggressive defensiveness sometimes that we have and how often it is a result of not remembering the big picture and not really, really, really believing it with our co- whole core. And that is that, that Christ has won, that he does rise and that he invites us to that um, as we remain faithful with him, as, as we do overcome the sleepiness and the drowsiness and that we seek to, um, to understand what he's doing. And um, I I think that's so important, and I've been trying to reflect on that myself with my own um, lack of peace, my own busyness, and and sometimes Mm -hmm. real deep anxiety, not only about what's going on in my life, um, but what's going on in the world. Um, You've written a lot recently about this fear, um, fear, you know, that you can see in the scriptures, but you you, um, bring that into the fears that we have in our life. What... Why is there such an emphasis on fear right now? Yeah, well, yeah, I, you know, I got a, a couple theories on that. First of all, that just physically we're hardwired for it. Um, when you think about it, um, uh, our, the, our ancestors who survived the period of when we were more nomadic were probably not those who looked up the cloud and thought, what a beautiful sky. <laughs> <laughs> they, we inherited the nervous systems of those who were looking for enemies at every bend and you know, hyper-vigilant and alert. So there might even be a physical thing to this, but you know, honestly, we we fear because we don't trust. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm amazed at how many things I thought would go wrong uh, that didn't, and they went mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, God has proven to me over and over and over again that look, you know, it's going to be just fine. Um, and I, I have every reason to trust Him, and yet still, still, well, what if I forget? You know, you know the kind of stuff that we can all go through. So we have to really focus on uh, the the promise of the Lord to to deliver us, and not act recklessly, and not that there'll never be failures in our life, but but that on, on the whole, God's taking pretty good care of me, you know. And um, the worst thing the world can do is kill me, and if that's the case, maximum promotion. You know? <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but I, I think that really ultimately that's. The, the key point, which is that we're going to tend to be a little anxious, but um, but at the end of the day, we have to keep revisiting that God is in charge and that all things work together for good for those who love and trust the Lord, so that even failures and things turn into successes um, if, if we let the Lord take over. And, um, you know, 
I think that's so right and that and really you, you're speaking to a balancing act that each of us have to take on almost daily which is the first part of it is just to trust right we recognize mm-hmm. who God is and then we recognize that we do have a part <laughs> and that part mm-hmm. is not um, uh, you know it's it's not a promise that it will be all that successful um, but our mm-hmm. part is faithfulness right mm-hmm. um, our faith our part is listening and trusting and clinging uh, to the Lord and um, and and yet also representing him to others um, for the truth um, that he brings and the truth that he revealed to us. Um, I think your piece, again, I'm, I, I hope everybody will, will read it at ncregister.com, Five Problematic Patterns of Sin That Emerge in the Passion Account. It's almost an examination of conscience for this week, and I, I really invite everyone uh, to read that. And then, of course, circle back next um, Sunday uh, for Easter and read uh, the beautiful piece um, that, that helps us uh, to live Easter well in our lives. Monsignor, you mentioned a piece, um, you mentioned uh, this, this transgender swimmer, you know, um, this, this biological mm-hmm. man who, who won um, in the, a female uh, championship. And you wrote about that in a piece at the Register. And if, if our audience is interested, I want to point that out. It's called, We Must Always Tell the Truth About God's Creation. A uh, very important piece. And it, it certainly uh, speaks about this problem in our culture and, um, and where, maybe where it originates and how the, the catechism uh, can help us um, it, to understand it better. I'm always uh, very grateful for um, your presence in, uh, at the Register, Monsignor, and uh, I hope that this week, um, it's a very busy week for all clergy, um, that is a, it's fruitful and prayerful, and that uh, you too um, feel uh, the, the mercy and love of God this week. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, and- you too, and just remember, everyone, in three days, I'll rise. Amen. <laughs> so Amen whatever to that. we're going through, the Lord has already risen. We've already got the victory. Wonderful. So you've been listening to Register Radio here on EWTN. We'll be taking a short break, and when we come back, we'll discuss Disney's descent from family fun to woke activism. Stay tuned for more. This Lenten season, read, reflect, and revive your faith with EWTN's National Catholic Register. Only the Register provides trusted news reporting and in-depth analysis that's always true to Catholic teaching. It informs, inspires, and equips Catholics to engage the world around them with the truth of the gospel. Let the Register accompany you, help you go deeper spiritually, and enrich your journey this Lent and beyond. Try it for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faith. O God, I hope with complete trust that you will give me, through the merits of Jesus Christ, all the necessary grace in this world and everlasting life in the world to come. 
for this is what you have promised, and you always keep your promises. Amen. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of The Register. I'm joined today by the youngest member of The Register team, Register intern, Megan Schultz. She's a junior at Hillsdale College studying English and journalism, and uh, she is been with us for the last six weeks or eight weeks or so, and I've been very impressed with her work. Uh, she took on a story this week on uh, Disney and I would say their descent into wokeism, as I teased in the beginning of, uh, of this show. Um, Megan, it's so good to have you back on Register Radio. That's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. So last month, employees staged a company-wide walkout uh, to protest Disney, Disney World in Orlando, uh, in Orlando, Florida. It's the Walt Disney Company's, they did this over the Walt Disney Company's response to a parental rights legislation passed in Florida. Uh, the bill uh, is, has become known by opponents as don't say gay bill, right? And so these employees were walking out because basically they said Walt Disney World, I mean, Walt Disney World, excuse me, didn't do enough. The company didn't do enough to protest this bill. Uh, and I think where we started to get very interested in this story is when Disney responded uh, to this criticism from employees. And so, Megan, can you describe the response Disney had to their employees um, basically staging a walkout? Um, after that walkout happened and employees were kind of expressing their disappointment in Disney for not doing, like you said, enough, the president, um, Bob Chavik, had actually announced that he didn't think corporate statements were productive enough. He thought they were counterproductive. But later on, they did release a statement saying that they're hoping that the law will be repealed by legislature or struck down in the courts. Um, So they very explicitly then denounced Bill 1557, um, which is better known now as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Mm -hmm. Right. And I I find it um, quite fascinating that they... um they not only, they, I mean, they, they responded not only with their commitment to LGBT material within their movies, which we've kind of seen in the past, but they responded uh, this time with a, a kind of policy point of view. What, what have they promised to do exactly? Yeah, that's definitely super interesting how they very specifically said that the company itself, their goal is for the law to be repealed. Um, But then they also have kind of released or there's been exposed some videos talking about how intensely they intend to continue kind of LGBT activism in their stories. Um, Their president was was, um, in a video kind of talking about how she hopes that up to 50 per, more than 50% of their characters will be either racial minorities or of an LGBT orientation um, moving forward. Wow. So not all, not all employees um, felt the same way uh, as the ones who walked out. Um, there, there were some who feel like this isn't the right way to respond uh, to the law uh, in Florida. What did those employees do? What have they said? That's another sort of complication in everything that's going on is that while some employees are complaining that Disney hasn't done enough, um, another group of employees released this open letter talking about how um, 
kind of cornered in they feel within the company itself, how hostile the environment it's become for anyone who doesn't have explicitly progressive views. And they concluded that letter calling for Disney to become politically neutral because of how tense and sort of dangerous it feels for them to kind of exist within that company that if someone speaks out, they're going to be villainized. They might face consequences with their job. Yes, and this is something that Joan Desmond wrote about uh, recently at ncregister.com in a blog. Her blog was, Disney fans caught in the wake of woke corporate capitulation to LGBT pressure. Whoa, that was a mouthful. (laughs) Um, The short title is Disney versus Florida. And she just comments on on what we talked about a few, few minutes ago. This isn't just let's say, a culture war that is battled over um, art, you know, or over movies and film. This is actually um, moving into the policy realm, into uh, the legislative realm. And that's a pretty big place for corporations to be in because they bear uh, a lot of financial weight, if you will. And uh, so she writes about how how, uh, this is kind of a... A revolutionary response in a way for for Disney. Um, It's not their typical mode of operating. Um, I find in that whole concept that they have actually distorted what this law is. Um, They've called it, and others have called it don't say gay law, but that's not at all what it is. What what is the law that Disney has been a part of, of distorting in public perception? Yeah, definitely. I think that nickname has done a lot um, to kind of portray one specific misconception of what the bill actually says. But yeah, Bill 1557 um, is explicitly called Parent Rights and Education. And basically, the intent of it is to give parents more um, kind of control and understanding of what their children are being taught within schools. Um, it doesn't explicitly, um, it doesn't say anything about condemning casual conversation in the classroom. It instead just focuses on what they say, reinforcing the fundamental rights of parents to make decisions regarding the upbringing and control of their children. The bill's goal is basically to require procedures that notify students' parents if there's changes in students' mental, emotional, or physical health or well-being, as well as if anything changes in the school's ability to provide a safe and supportive learning environment for the students. And what's most interesting, I think, is that this bill specifically just targets kindergarten through third grade so that classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity cannot occur in classrooms of those ages, which are obviously incredibly young students. I think that point is very, very important. It's not teens we're talking about here. It's early elementary school children. And that's what the bill aims to protect in terms of of this sort of uh, progressive ideological indoctrination uh, that sometimes Mm -hmm. happens uh, through materials that can be brought into the classroom and is in some ways happening through... Uh, things like Disney or Blue's Clues, right? That was another controversy not too long ago. Uh, Megan, how have parents responded? Obviously, online, um, there's been a lot of calls for boycotting Disney by um, canceling Disney Plus subscriptions. People are canceling their trips to parks and things like that. Um, There was one parent that I spoke with who just expressed almost kind of her disappointment that... um, she was going to have to cancel Disney Plus, that she has all these fond memories of her her daughters growing up, dancing to Disney songs and watching Disney movies, and that being a real source of joy for them. Um, And so I think um, 
parents are just really experiencing some disappointment that this entertainment company just isn't going to be able, isn't intending to maintain that standard. So people are angry. They want to cancel subscriptions. They want to cancel trips. Um, they're very, feeling very fiercely protective of their children. But I also think it's a very genuine loss for some people as well. Yes, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is... Um I mean, I think many of us have fond memories of Disney movies, and I think it's a it's a loss when uh, they take a side, and this is what their employees were saying, right? When they take a side so directly, um, and and so in such a kind of uh, totalitarian way, there's where is the tolerance uh, in the position uh, that they've taken, and I, I think that's a that's a real challenging it's a challenging moment for sure. Uh, Megan, where have um, I mean, Disney's been criticized for this in the past in their movies. What are some of the, as in your review as you wrote this article, what was some, what were some of the complaints, some of the red flags within the Disney um, culture and, and movies that, that we should be aware of? Like I said earlier, those leaked videos um, that um, one journalist in particular, Christopher Rufo, um, brought out on Twitter, um, were kind of talking about how they intend to move forward one of their executive producers talked about um, how she regularly adds queerness to their programming. She said, no one would try to stop me. No one would stop me. And no one was trying to stop me. And another executive mentioned this tracker that they implemented to ensure that it, there were enough gender nonconforming, canonical trans, and canonical bisexual characters. Um, and they've also established this LGBTQ plus task force, they've called it, um, which is led by senior executives. So they're goal there is to develop a concrete plan to ensure um, that they're calling it so that Disney is a force for good in LGBT communities, especially children and family. Um, So that's kind of how they intend to move forward. I think we've seen pieces of that in different movies and um, even TV shows um, in Disney's past. Um, Things like Good Luck Charlie um, and even a little bit in Turning Red, the most recent movie, um, and then just mostly background characters and other things, I think, especially. But I think um, what parents in particular are concerned about is that there's going to be a major uptick in things in like that. that. Sure, sure. And do we do have a piece at ncregister.com called Seeing Red After Turning Red, and this was a, about the Turning Red movie. It was a piece by Robert Brennan. And long ago, a, a few years ago, Stephen Gray Donis wrote, So How Gay Is Disney's Frozen? Another very interesting piece. Megan, thanks so much for joining us, and I invite our listeners to go to ncregister.com online for more news, analysis, and commentary. Thanks for joining us here on Register Radio, on EWTN. Uh, for Jeff Burson, my producer, and myself, Jeanette DeMello, I ask God to bless you until next week. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on ewtn.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.